Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I'm Barry Weiss, and this is Honestly. Today's episode is an important one, but it may be a little hard to listen to. It also includes descriptions of graphic sexual violence, so don't listen to this one with kids in the room. I want to tell you about a group of girls who were kidnapped by terrorists thousands of miles away. The girls were teenagers, and they were taken, grabbed, and thrown into trucks by a murderous gang abducted from their families and dragged into remote hideouts. These terrorists, driven by an extreme Islamist ideology, were opposed to the civilization that these girls believed was their birthright. The right to be educated. The right to be independent. The right to chart their own destinies. And so they kidnapped them. When the world heard the news of this faraway story, people were outraged and empathetic. The First Lady of the United States saw it on the news. Those could be my daughters, she thought. And compelled by what I imagine was a combination of maternal instinct and a sense of duty to speak out against evil, she took to Twitter and demanded, bring back our girls. Within days, women around the world, leaders in Washington and celebrities in Hollywood followed suit. They knew that they had an audience. They knew that they had platforms and they wanted to do everything they could to call attention to this atrocity. What I'm describing was the righteous outrage in the West in response to the kidnapping and sexual slavery of 276 schoolgirls in Nigeria when they were kidnapped by the Islamist militant organization Boko Haram in April 2014. Michelle Obama, Oprah, Malala Yousafzai, Alicia Keys, Angelina Jolie, Kim Kardashian, and the rest of the civilized world saw a story of good versus evil, and so they spoke out about it. The situation could not have been clearer, nor could the moral imperative for those with power to do something about it. And power they had. President Obama wound up deploying American troops to assist in the search for the schoolgirls in Nigeria. Nearly 10 years later, on October 7, 2023, terrorists, driven by an extremist Islamist ideology, kidnapped another group of teenage girls thousands of miles away. These men brutalized and abducted the girls and many others, including soldiers, innocent men, women, the elderly, children, and even babies. All told, there were over 240 of them. The terrorists took these people, some of whom were still in their pajamas, into tunnels deep underground. This wasn't Boko Haram, and it wasn't in Nigeria. It was Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the ruling Islamist factions in the Gaza Strip. And the people taken were Israelis. In this case, there were no viral hashtag campaigns. There were no clear and urgent statements from female leaders, the kinds of feminists that so many young girls look up to and have come to rely on for their information about the world. No Michelle Obama, no Malala, 
no Emma Watson, no Greta Thunberg, no America Ferreira, and I could go on and on and on. There has been no relentless rallying cry from our prominent women's organizations. Instead, there has been silence. Silence from the leaders of the Me Too movement. Silence from the celebrities who spoke at the Women's March and in Time's Up. Silence from those who denounced pay gaps and Harvey Weinstein and Trump's grab by the pussy comment and rape culture more generally. Silence from people who opposed Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. Silence, save one weak statement 55 days after October 7th, from UN Women, a group whose mission is to, quote, create an environment in which every woman and girl can exercise her human rights. Silence for two months after October 7th from the National Organization for Women, the largest feminist activist organization in the United States. And when they finally did muster out a statement, they didn't even mention Hamas. Silence from the International Committee of the Red Cross, who is supposed to be an independent and neutral organization to, quote, ensure humanitarian protection and assistance for victims of war and armed violence and to promote the laws that protect victims of war. Silence from almost every organization you would expect to care about these women and these hostages, organizations who are chartered to actually do this work, to protect these hostages, and to make a difference. Daily, many of these people in these groups call for a ceasefire in Gaza, but they are silent about the hostages. Why do they cry for a ceasefire and not insist on freeing the hostages, the very thing that could actually end the war? There are 136 hostages still being held by Hamas in Gaza right this moment. Some of those people are dead. Two of them are babies. About 20 of them are young women. And it has been a 100 days since they disappeared beneath the Earth's surface in Gaza. In those 100 days, thanks to those hostages who have been released and thanks to the intrepid work of journalists in Israel and across the world, we have learned a great deal about what the feminists of the world are choosing largely to ignore. They are ignoring hostages who have been seriously wounded, shot, or with dismembered limbs, who are without medical care. They are ignoring hostages who don't have enough food and water. They are ignoring hostages who are being beaten and tortured. They are ignoring hostages who have been sitting for a hundred days in the pits of hell. As if all of that wouldn't be bad enough. But what they are also ignoring is the ongoing subjugation of those some 20 remaining women. And that is not hyperbole or hysteria or speculation or claims made by politicians to make a political point or advance the aims of the broader war. It is firsthand testimony that is coming out of the mouths of women who were there and who saw what was happening with their own eyes. One released hostage 17-year-old Agam Goldstein Almog told the Free Press that about 50 days into her captivity, she met some of these young women in the tunnels, some of whom still had bloody gunshot wounds that had been left untreated, and one of whom had a dismembered limb. They told Agam that they had been sexually abused. 
Here is what Agam told us. I heard from them accounts of terrifying and grotesque sexual abuse, she said, often at gunpoint. They told me that when they were sad and cried, their captors would take advantage of their helplessness even more and stroke and caress them and then shove and grab intimate parts of their bodies. They were treated, Agam told us, like playthings. Chen Goldstein Almog, Agam's mother, who was held hostage with her daughter, told the New York Times that she too met women in the tunnels who said they were sexually abused. In recounting a conversation she had with these hostages, Chen told Israeli media that Hamas, quote, simply put a gun to their heads and did what they wanted to them at gunpoint. 21-year-old Mia Shem, who was released after 54 days in captivity, told Israeli media that before she was taken to Gaza, she was, quote, groped on her upper body by her first kidnapper. It was only when he realized that her arm was severed, she said, that he stopped. When she got to Gaza, she said she feared death and she feared rape. She said she thinks the only reason she wasn't raped in captivity is because her captor's wife and children were present in the home the whole time. Aviva Siegel, 64 years old, was held in Gaza for more than 50 days. Her husband is still in captivity. She testified before a Knesset committee that she witnessed a woman being tortured and another who showed signs that her captor had violated her. I saw that she was withdrawn, quiet, and not herself, Siegel said. And excuse my language, but this son of a bitch had touched her. He didn't even let me hug her after it happened. It's terrible, simply terrible. I told her I was sorry. It's not just the released hostages giving these testimonies. One of the doctors who treated the released hostages reported that 10 of the people who were freed, including men, were sexually abused in captivity. Another doctor said that among the 30 female hostages that he treated between the ages of 12 to 48, many suffered sexual assault during captivity. Another doctor said that many of the released female hostages showed signs of PTSD and said that the patients are, quote, deeply traumatized by extremely serious sexual assaults. None of this should come as a surprise, because the entire world saw what Hamas did on October 7th above ground, in broad daylight, proudly, captured in their own photographs and videos for the entire world to see. The extent of the rape and sexual violence by Hamas on October 7th has been well documented in pictures, in videos, in eyewitness accounts, in testimony from rescue teams and medics, in testimony from pathologists and from people who prepare Jewish bodies for burial according to Jewish law. A New York Times investigation last month the haunting must-read piece is called Screams Without Words, reported that medics found more than 30 bodies of women and girls with their clothes torn off and with signs of sexual abuse. They reviewed photographs of one woman's corpse with, quote, dozens of nails driven into her thighs and groin. They also reviewed a video provided by the Israeli military, quote, showing two dead Israeli soldiers at a base near Gaza who appeared to have been shot directly in their vaginas. One witness, 
a 24-year-old woman named Sapir, who survived the Nova Festival on October 7th, spoke to the Times about what she saw that day. And this next part is hard for me to read, and it may be hard for you to listen to, but I think it's important for me to read it. Quote, the first victim she said she saw was a young woman with copper color hair, blood running down her back, pants pushed down to her knees. One man pulled her by the hair and made her bend over. Another penetrated her, Sapir said, and every time she flinched, he plunged a knife into her back. She said she then watched another woman, quote, shredded into pieces. While one terrorist raped her, she said, another pulled out a box cutter and sliced off her breast. One continues to rape her, and the other throws her breast to someone else, and they play with it, throw it, and it falls on the ground. She said the men sliced her face, and then the woman fell out of view. Around the same time, she said, she saw three other women raped and terrorists carrying the severed heads of three more women. Another witness at Nova, Roz Cohen, told the Times and later CNN of a gang rape he witnessed at the festival on October 7th. It was like a half a circle, and uh, the girl was in the middle of the circle. And uh, after they pulled the clothes uh, off uh, of the girl, uh, they started to, one, one of them started to, to rape her. And uh, it was something like a 30, 30 seconds. And uh, after uh, he raped her, uh, he take a knife and a killer, murderer, and after he did it, he continued to, to rape the dead body. In countless IDF testimonies, soldiers and medics and volunteers have testified to what they found in the homes of the kibbutzim near Gaza. One rescue officer testified that when he entered the home of one of the communities attacked, he found a 14 or 15-year-old girl who had been raped and then killed, shot in the head in her bedroom next to her sister. I enter a home, a home of a family, and while we're looking for injured people, civilians, to rescue as we are in combat there by terrorists that are still holding houses on their own people living there as hostages. And I open with my team one of the rooms of that house, and I see two girls lying, one on a bed, one on the floor in their own bedroom. And the girl, 14, 15 years old teenager, she's lying on her bed, on, on the floor, on her stomach. Her pants are pulled down. And she is half naked. Her legs are spread out, wide open, and there are remains of sperm on her back. Someone executed her right after he brutally, brutally raped her while just shooting her in the head. She was left there to, you know, lie in the blood of her, of her, uh, 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 in a pile of blood. And that is the first. Time Some first responders testified that they couldn't even tell if the bodies they found were men or women. That's how badly these people were mutilated. So in front of my eyes, a woman laying. She was naked. 
She had nails and different objects. And her female organs. Her body was brutal in a way that we could not identify her. Others who work for the military morgue testified that they saw, quote, women with bloody underwear, with broken bones, broken legs, and broken pelvises. As the Times investigation points out, the true number of women assaulted on October 7th will never be known. And that's because some of the bodies were burned so badly that they weren't bodies in the end at all. And it's also because Jewish religious ritual dictates that bodies be buried as quickly as possible, usually the day after death. And of course, there was the absolute chaos of the days following the attack, when terrorists were still roaming free in southern Israel, and where Israeli medics and volunteers were simply unable to keep up with the death toll and the destruction. At the Nova Festival site, to choose just one example, bodies were hauled away by the truckload, more than 360 of them at that particular site. Now imagine, right now, if one of these 18- or 19-year-olds being held by Hamas was your daughter. Imagine if the world, imagine if other mothers and daughters and women did not scream on your behalf. That silence alone would be unimaginable. But then imagine if some of them didn't just not speak up for you, but instead they berated you or suggested that your child somehow deserved it. That's exactly what happened to the mother of one teenage girl who currently remains in captivity. Last month in New York City, a group of anti-Israel protesters harassed Dr. Ayelet Levi-Shahar, the mother of a 19-year-old girl, Nama, who was taken hostage on October 7th. Shame on you, they yelled at the grieving mother. Ayelet's 19-year-old daughter, Nama Levi, was taken hostage by Hamas in a now infamous video. Her hands were bound, her ankles were cut, her pants were soaked in blood, and she is stolen away by screaming terrorists with automatic weapons, spirited away into the back of a black jeep. Or take how the Red Cross responded to the family of Daron Steinbrecher, a 30-year-old woman being held by Hamas in Gaza without her medication. My mom had a few meets with the, with the Red Cross, and she told them, my sister need to get her medicine. Yeah. The family told Jake Tapper that when they begged the Red Cross for help... And they told her that uh, we should uh, care more about the Arab people on the other side. And, and less about uh, our, our uh, beloved one who... The Red Cross the, actually told the family, exactly. so you should sister. focus your concerns on Gazans. Or take just this week, when a San Francisco man who lost five family members at Kibbutz Be'eri, including two who were kidnapped, shared his testimony at a city council meeting. He was met with boos and jeers and pig noises from anti-Israel activists. It fuels anti-Semitism and hatred, as exemplified in this room right now. Listen, the pig noises and everything else. This is pure anti-Semitism. And I have never, since I moved to San Francisco, seen this kind of hatred against a minority group ever. 
And again, just last week, when an Israeli woman in New York City went over to a group of anti-Israel protesters and tried to talk to them. My friend is being held hostage by Hamas, she said. One of the female protesters responded, Go cry at home, bitch. And then, maybe worst of all, there are the women who are questioning or denying that any of this happened at all. Now, it's important to note that there are also a lot of men denying the atrocities of October 7th and the ongoing atrocities. The Grey Zone's Max Blumenthal, the journalist Aaron Mate, the journalist Ali Abumina, Owen Jones from The Guardian. But the thing I cannot wrap my head around is how a staggering number of these deniers and the people ripping down the posters of the hostages are women themselves. Women like Brianna Joy Gray, a political commentator at The Hill, host of the show Rising, and most notably, Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign national press secretary. She also happens to have a law degree from Harvard. Over and over again, Gray has simply refused to accept that Hamas raped Israeli women. Why? Because the, quote, Zionists, she says, were relying on men as witnesses. And because, as she put it, Israel didn't collect rape kits on October 7th. In case that seems hard to believe, here's the whole tweet for you. Zionists are asking that we believe the uncorroborated eyewitness account of men who describe alleged rape victims in odd, fetishistic terms. Shame on Israel for not seriously investigating claims of rape and collecting rape kits. Next, she added, it was fishy that no female victims have offered their testimony. As the feminist Jill Filipovic put it perfectly, yes, it is generally the case that if you kill your victims, they can't testify against you. I'd add that it's hard to give testimony when you're held underground at gunpoint in a tunnel by a terrorist. More recently, in the face of overwhelming evidence, including the New York Times investigation, an investigation that did include female eyewitnesses, Gray argued that she simply has skepticism that is rooted in the timing of what she calls the resurgence of these claims. And this is subjective. I'm not saying that I have any evidence of this, but it felt coordinated and out of nowhere and perhaps in response to clearly dwindling public support. If I hadn't told you that these words were coming out of the mouth of a former Bernie Sanders campaign secretary, I'd venture to guess that you would have thought they were coming out of the mouth of someone like Alex Jones. This is a person, Gray is, who tweeted in 2018 about Brett Kavanaugh's sexual assault allegations that, quote, the burden is on Kavanaugh to rebut it. I could go on about the hypocrisy of Brianna Joy Gray. But the thing is, this isn't just an instance of a single morally blind person. In November, Samantha Pearson, then director of a sexual assault center at Canada's Alberta University, denied that acts of rape had taken place on October 7th, calling them unverified accusations. Last week, when Democratic politician Matt Dorsey asked the San Francisco Board of Supervisors Committee to include language of Hamas's mass sexual violence in a ceasefire resolution it had passed. And according to a two-month investigation by the New York Times, quote, showing a pattern of rape, mutilation, and extreme brutality against women. And, he was met quote, with shouts of liar 
from the crowd. In another instance from last week, when a woman was confronted on the street and asked why was she tearing down the posters, raising awareness of Hamas's use of rape. Excuse me, why did you just tear down signs of women who went through sexual assault in Israel? Um, yeah, because why? they've been proven false. They've been proven false? Yes. She responded, because they have been proven false. Now, perhaps you're listening to this right now and you wonder if Israel is prosecuting its war against Hamas in the right way. Perhaps you're listening to this and thinking, too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. Perhaps you're thinking, Palestinians should have their own state. Or maybe you're thinking, Israel has historically been unjust in its treatment of the Palestinians. Or maybe you're listening and thinking about a thousand other things, a thousand other things about Israeli policy or about Bibi or about settlements, or about Hamas, or about U.S. aid, or about fears of an ever-growing war. All of those are fair positions. All of those are fair questions. All of those are things worthy of debate. But when you are asking things like, why didn't they use rape kits on dead women raped and shot in the head by terrorists on October 7th, you sound a little bit like a 9-11 truther. It was almost like they ignored it because they wanted it to happen. Or like a Sandy Hook denier. The official story of Sandy Hook has more holes in it than Swiss cheese. Or like... Why did Hitler want to gas the Jews? He didn't. The gas chamber they show you in Auschwitz is as genuine as the fairy castle in Orlando. Rather like Disneyland. And Auschwitz has become the, um, the kingpin, the linchpin of the, the Holocaust industry. I've been asking myself for weeks now, where does all of this come from? There's no single answer. Perhaps it's politics, the growing trend of young women and not young men moving leftward. And if you're on the hard left, you've been immersed now for at least a decade in the belief that the world is divided plainly in two, the oppressor and the oppressed. And Israel is the ultimate oppressor. And likely everything in your world, your school, your social media feed, the celebrities you admire— reflects that worldview back to you. Or perhaps it's fear. Fear of speaking out on issues that are perceived as controversial. Fear of being tarred as choosing sides. Fear of being tarred as choosing the wrong side. Perhaps it's because facing the reality of this situation is actually too difficult to bear. Or perhaps it's because the victims in this case are Israelis and Jews. As my friend Batya Anger Sargon has noted, For years, certain people demanded we replace due process with believe all women. These same people, when presented with evidence of the mass rape of Israeli women, now demand context. Believe all women became don't believe the confessions of rapists if their victims are Jews. Whatever the reason, for anyone, especially for women, to remain silent or to downplay or to deny such atrocities— is an assault not just on the victims, not just on their families, not just on Israelis, and not just on Jews. It is an assault on truth itself. Look at the faces of these girls. Liri Albag, age 18. Agam Berger, age 19. Daniela Gilboa, age 19. Karina Ariev, age 19. These are four of the remaining young Israeli women still in Hamas captivity. This horrifying video was taken on the very first day of the war. They have now been there for a hundred. 
Look at these four women's faces and think about what they have endured. Last month, State Department spokesman Matthew Miller said that one of the reasons Hamas doesn't want to release the young female hostages is they don't want these women to be able to talk about what happened to them during their time in custody. Everyone knows exactly what he means by that. There have been a few notable exceptions, of course, to the silence. The musician Pink, Sheryl Sandberg, Regina Spector, Mayim Bialik, Amy Schumer, Jessica Seinfeld. But they have been so notable because they have been so rare. And most of the prominent, famous women who have spoken out are Jewish. Everyone I just named is. Listen to what Nama Levy's father told the New York Post about his 17-year-old still being held by Hamas in Gaza. My daughter believed Michelle Obama to be someone who not only cared about global women, but also someone with a really good heart. Why has she and all these other famous women Nama looked up to and all of the global human rights organizations she believed in stayed silent about what has happened to my Nama? Nama's mother told the Free Press last month, that the remaining female hostages are not bargaining chips to be debated by diplomats. They are daughters and one of them is mine. My primal scream should be the scream of mothers everywhere. It has been a hundred days. It is time to release the hostages. Bring them home. Bring every single one of them home. Bring back our girls. Thanks for listening. I know this was probably a hard one to listen to, but we thought, for reasons we hope you understand, that it was really, really important. This episode is part of an ongoing story we've been covering since October 7th. We've been doing that on Honestly, and especially we've been doing that on the free press. So if you believe in this kind of journalism, if you believe in our perspective, and if you want to support our ability to keep doing it, there's just one way. It's by going to the Free Press's website at vfp.com, T-H-E-F-P.com, and becoming a subscriber today. See you next time. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit